the power of propaganda and rhetoric to divide us in the quest for a better world. Behind the podcast of episode EF7, I'm Scott Ely. Welcome to episode EF25 of the Evolve Faster podcast. Quick spoiler alert, this is a behind the podcast going back to look at questions related to episode EF7 from season one, episode five, which was titled Sleight of Mind, The Black Magic of Rhetoric. The driving question of this episode and this behind the podcast for you to think through is, can we trust reason? So let me briefly read the introduction from the uh, the website, just to remind you of what the topic was about here. Edward, a marketing master and spokesperson for the dark arts of rhetoric and propaganda, is hired to educate a controversial businessman running for an important public office. It's Edward's job to bestow the black magic of verbal and written manipulation on the businessman to win the election. Where the tongue is quicker than the mind and the pen sharp enough to cut, are these skills a well-respected art or are they just cheap mental tricks wielded by insincere charlatans? So let me start dissecting this behind the podcast of this topic by delving into a core theme of the EF7 episode. And that is the surging of fake news and what it's doing to democracy. So I remember watching a video on YouTube which showed multiple different TV channels in the United States speaking the same thing word for word. I, like many of you, I suppose, is blown away by this media machine that produces stuff like this. You, you look at it and you, you have to say to yourself, there's definitely something wrong here because the news sounds reasonable, but it would seem that it's only the package and not what's inside. And is there some mastermind or masterminds that create that content for every news media to read? It's very creepy when you watch it. Antonio, who helps me with the podcast, told me about a similar thing happening in his country. So he's from Croatia, and back in the 90s, there was a war between Croatia and Serbia. So he showed me a similar video to the one I just mentioned. Obviously, I didn't understand a word of it, but he explained that the video shows two news shows, one, one from Croatia and the other from Serbia. They're saying the exact same thing, except in, in the Croatian version, Serbia is the villain and vice versa, but the content's the same. So that, that's some that's some next level shit right there, considering the countries were killing each other for a few years. Because again, who's the mastermind orchestrating this content and presenting it to people with, you know, swapping out the name of who's the villain? And just today, before I started recording, I saw a video in my feed from Hacker News titled something like Hacking the YouTube Algorithm. So it was a guy doing a three-part series on his theory of how fake news is being spread on YouTube, which is, besides Facebook, one of the, the big problem platforms right now. He showed several super spammy-looking videos that had really high engagement, though. Lots of views, lots of shares. And it had this creepy robotic voice, and each of the videos was a slightly different robotic voice, speaking, and I say robotic meaning it wasn't like a human, someone had put in the words to of these, like a robot software, speaking the same news story, just slightly different, so that they could spam YouTube with many, many versions of the same fake story with just slightly different titles to catch more people with different keywords. And these things were getting hundreds of thousands of views and engagement. 
it was unreal. It's unreal, especially when you look at these things and they look super spammy, but people are engaging with them. So you might have already guessed I'm not a big fan of politics, not for what it should be, but for what it is. And it could just be the era that I'm living through in America. I know there are other places in the world where politics work, but I get myself into trouble regularly because I, I don't sugarcoat things or tell people what they want to hear. A profession which, at least in America today, is mostly about choosing what you believe based on who will pay the most is not really going to work for me. Politics today, to me, is just completely disingenuous. And again, I'm, I'm speaking American politics because that's where I am and what I know most. I mean, it's almost like a reality TV show. Oh wait, it is one because the current star is Mr. You're Fired. Good God. Anyway, I, I sat down to make a character of Antonio's even uglier, Edward. I probably channeled more of my dislike into it than I had planned to and made this very scary person in Edward. Someone who trained powerful people to manipulate people maliciously and was very, very good at it. So one trick with Edward was that we didn't want him to be a classic one-sided bad guy. We wanted to add depth and at the same time he had to leave the impression of a bad guy, because he is. So in the end, the creation of Edward we're really proud of. But as you might imagine, with providing depth and expanded theme, the complexity grew right before our eyes without us even noticing. It was a baby elephant in the room that grew to its full size in a very short time. And with Edward's complexity, the story had to grow too. We had to find a solution. So was it time to start splitting episodes? Like, you know, one episode that spanned two different uh, releases to be continued type of thing? I never had this in mind, but putting so much context in a single episode just wasn't going to do the story justice. Should we reduce complexity? I didn't really like this either as it meant sacrificing story quality and I also kind of felt like giving up on what was turning into an, an interesting character and plot. But I liked where it was all going and I couldn't even decide who or what to kill off. That's probably where you need a, a good editor, which I don't have. I don't have one at all. And then the worst happened. I started to question whether or not everything would even work if we kept developing these larger storylines. Seemed as if we finally bit off more than what two guys working from completely different parts of the world can chew. If you listen to the whole season, um, I think you know how it played out. And I think it played out very well. But either way, let me now dig into the rest of the questions for this behind the podcast. And then I'll come back to explain how we handled it, uh, this growing elephant. So here's the questions we're going to try to tackle here. Why the question, can we trust reason? Um, did you write this episode before or after Trump's election? Are these mental black arts really like black magic? What are some direct parallels? Is rhetoric the same as propaganda? Is Edward written around anyone real? Is Arding supposed to be like a Trump? What did Elliot do? And is this the same Elliot from episode EF9? Okay, the first question. Why the question, can we trust reason? With such tremendous volumes of information, it's no longer enough to reasonably counter a piece of news with factual information. Just take YouTube alone. 300 hours of your video are uploaded every minute. 300 hours every minute. And 5 billion videos are watched a day. And on Facebook, there are 300,000 status updates every minute. 
I mean, just think of how much that information runs counter to one another. All those things that are being uploaded, how much of that are opposing views or slightly different arguments? I mean, almost anything can sound reasonable if you can find hundreds of bits of information that support it. So often the enemy can simply be really powerful rhetoric or propaganda wrapped up in a perfect package of reason. So this question addresses an important issue we're facing today, especially when you realize that false news has a longer lifespan on social platforms like Twitter than real news. Is that Twitter's fault or our own fault? And, you know, this is complex in different ways across different platforms. In the case of um, Facebook, for example, it might be Facebook's fault because they are very much filtering and deciding, curating what you should see. Whereas Twitter, as I understand it, is showing you everything. So there is a difference there in, in who's, who's complicit and who's not. Not to say that Twitter is not complicit, and I don't know the answer to these questions. But if we further tried to dissect the question, we could also ask ourselves, why does our individual reason break down in modern or any other society so easily? Or what rhetorical weapons and logical fallacies are the biggest problems that are basically short-circuiting our ability to realize that we're being duped? I guess the way to round it up can be by asking ourselves, does an average person even understand what reason is and how to use it to protect themselves against fake news or worse, fake reason? But you can't help but grasp when realizing that what a colossal task this is. So just imagine how many news sources you have to check daily to get some version of the absolute truth. It almost becomes like a full-time job, even on a small particular issue. And considering we already have full-time jobs, it's doubtful most of us will ever use our free time to chase the rabbit. So is there an alternative? Well, this thought made me dig deeper into the topic back when I was just preparing the podcast Blueprints, and I decided exploring whether or not we could trust reason was a great place to investigate rhetoric and propaganda. I'm not sure how well understood they are, so I made them a centerpiece of the plot and evaluation of reason. And people like Bernay, the father of propaganda, and Schopenhauer, who wrote a great book titled The Art of Being Right, which I recommend. Uh, it's a great sarcastic turn on how to ensure that your reason always wins. Think learning about reason and then deciding when you can trust it is a very important topic of our time and of all time. So I hope this episode causes a few more people to think about it and also to see its importance in the context of our abysmal political climate. Did you write this episode before or after Trump's election? I did start the episode right around that time, but I wasn't writing it about him, or at least not consciously. That was back when I still didn't have the fictional story format. I think fake news was more in my mind and then it morphed. But if my subconscious was hoping to use a current hot topic, in unknowingly modeling a character after the likes of Trump or Steve Bannon to get more attention, then I need to buy my subconscious a calendar app since I'm about two years late. Um, but the episode is likely inspired by that time since it was all over the place. Of course, you couldn't avoid it and you were being bombarded by the media from all sides. Um, I got to the point where it was hard for me to listen to anything. I suppose this episode was me trying to add some value to the world around this issue by outing some of their techniques. 
it doesn't seem to be very effective as he got elected and everything has continued to go to hell in a handbasket. But maybe had I gotten the episode out before the election, who knows? <laughs> are these mental black arts, as you call them, really this much like magic? What are some direct parallels? So I started using black magic as a metaphor for what the story tries to convey. I needed to try to draw a perfectly clear picture of how rhetoric is mostly used today, and that's through fallacies. When using black magic, it's more of a metaphor of the current state and fallacies as a tool than the idea of rhetoric or even propaganda. As Edward describes at one point in the episode, like with magic, fallacies are all about timing and misdirection. Or what might be even a better Edward quote is, an untrained mind easily succumbs to magic, which is often nothing more than a simple sleight of hand. Or in the case of what we'll be doing for your campaign, a not so simple sleight of mind. I clearly like that line so much that I made it the title. Or actually, as I'm saying this, it might have actually come the other way around. I usually brainstorm a batch of titles and then send them to Antonio and he'll give me feedback and sometimes add his own. We have a no idea is bad rule, especially for titles. But I can tell you that some of them are absolutely horrible. Um, creative brainstorming with another person completely pays off though. Um, the titles and episode metaphors in particular, I spend a lot of time on because they ultimately end up setting the tone for the episode and for, for everything. This was one of my brainstorms that ended up being my favorite. And then I went back and added the sleight of mind line to the end of one of Antonio's sentences where he mentioned sleight of hand. Anyway, Antonio threw the idea out that fallacies are like magic tricks you see on TV or in a magic show. And this probably happened when I made a push to get every episode into a metaphor theme, which I think I talked about in a previous Behind the Podcast. First one was the train metaphor in EF3. Um, and around that time, I liked the way it was working so much that I went, made a point to uh, make sure every episode had a nice visual and they became more and more integrated as it went on. And this was one of the first ones I think that really worked, that became like a, a very memorable thing about the character. People believe it's magic, or if you want to believe it's magic, but anyone who, who knows anything about magic knows that it's just a well-trained trick. These people don't have that moment of wow when they see the person you know, changing a card for another, but they probably say mildly impressed, hey, that's a cool trick. It's the same with fallacies. A person that's aware of the various fallacies that you can pull on someone won't be tricked nearly as easily because he knows how the trick is done. So imagine if a great percentage of people were educated in fallacies. I think politicians and marketing professionals would have far harder time tricking people in anything. One of my goals for this episode and the podcast in general is to try and at least create a slight interest in it so that people might decide on their own to discover more of these things. Let me round it up. After Antonio created this connection, I figured it would be a great if we introduce the real magic, the kind you see in movies and video games. Thus, Edward became a black wizard, a practitioner of mental dark arts. And it fits him perfectly because, at least to us, he's this scary character that unfortunately exists in real life in the likes of people like Steve Bannon, at least as far as I can tell. Is rhetoric the same as propaganda? In an early version that Antonio did, we ended up with an episode that was heavily focused on just propaganda. 
And there were funny historical propaganda examples, and some of them made it into the final episode, and they were interesting. But I didn't want propaganda stories to just take over the spotlight. Learning to think critically and discover fallacies being used against you is the main topic. So if we stuck to the old version, it would have just been an interesting story with some humor and nothing more. We had to explain the art of rhetoric as the cornerstone of propaganda and fallacies to provide the full picture. So we reworked it a lot and added in the history of rhetoric. As explained in the story back in ancient Greece, rhetoric was an almost noble art of discussion, trying to find the best way to do exactly what we're trying to do now learn how to discuss effectively and recognize neatly packaged lies. As history moved on, we can guess the cure became poison as many people found in it a powerful weapon to turn crazy ideas into reasonable truths. So imagine creating this weapon as someone else's daily job. That's Edward. You don't have time to focus on the same thing. You or I might be a better doctor, teacher, firefighter, writer, but some people are masters in rhetoric. So while you know how to put out a fire, the other person knows how to create reason out of nothing to collectively pull the wool over large swaths of the population. It's a wild world. Imagine rhetoric as the genesis of propaganda that was developed in the early 20th century for marketing purposes. We've come a long way. As I said, because of this, it was essential to change the focus of the episode onto this and not just making people laugh with story about stories about carrots, lemmings, and cigarettes. So I wanted a balanced story that had the humor, but a more serious message as well. Okay, I think we were able to pull it off, and it turned out to be something much deeper and darker uh, than, than we even planned. Is Edward written around anyone real? Edward isn't specifically written on it around anyone real, but as with any character, his name is related to a specific famous person that one way or the other is related to the episode's topic. He started as an anti-hero and ended up being more of a villain than a hero. Maybe he's an anti-villain? Um, he isn't evil, but he's, I guess you could argue he is, but the character does leave this unpleasant aura that we're all familiar with when watching a bad guy in action. So th there's something about him that I, I can't help but sympathize with. It's subtle and barely definable, as there isn't a lot of good actions that Edward takes to the story, but there's something that you empathize with. So it's ironic how a character, how as a character, Edward became just what his egotistical character wanted. He became powerful both in the fictional and real life sense. He shows up in the next episode as more of a side character, but the moment he enters the scene, he takes over. At least to us as writers, he's far more interesting than, than most of the other characters. This shows in our brainstorming and overall writing of the three-season story. I'd say that without us realizing, the story and other characters somewhat started revolving around Edward. Um, so he started kind of taking complete control even outside his fictional world. I guess he worked his black magic on us as well. It took a long time to create Edward, but now I think there's... I don't think there's anything we can do but let him do what he wants. <laughs> is Arding supposed to be like a Trump? Arding might seem to be a lot like Trump as he's a businessman trying to get into politics. His has ideas that make you go, what the hell? And he loves being dominant. But Arding is, dare I say, more sophisticated with his extreme ideas. There was obviously some influence there from Trump. This became open to interpretation. 
If you want, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. He's just kind of a megalomaniacal billionaire politician. But we didn't say a thing about Arting having terrible hair, an orange tan, bizarre speech patterns, an uncontrollable Twitter habit, ties to Russia or hotel chains. <laughs> so the differences are, are vast. But perhaps it's it seems overly blatant now, even though not explicitly intended, especially when Trump-like rhetoric is on the rise in countries around the world. He certainly is a rhetoric machine worthy of fictional representation. I almost dedicated the episode to him and Obama jointly, as they're both modern rhetorical masters of entirely different breeds. But it seemed like a cheap dedication, and I hate politics, so I didn't want to honor them. So, I don't know, how can we build a better world? Do the coming generations have any hope with the direction this political environment's going? What if we had governments run by artificial intelligence? Would this be an implementation of John Rawls come true? I hope this is the future. We'll see. Okay, what did Elliot do? And is this the same Elliot from episode EF9? Um, episode 5, 6, and 7 are tied together via a bigger topic. But story-wise, they originally had no connection. So they, the need for connecting them came when we started to realize we were in too deep trying to stuff so many topics and questions into a single episode. Could say connecting the stories came as a necessary fix. But let me say it turned out to be very rewarding, if challenging, uh, departure from doing individual episodes. But we knew we had to do it as we weren't ready to simply remove certain story parts. Perhaps as the show matures, we'll have the guts to do this more um, or move the best parts that need to be removed to a later episode. I don't know, I guess we'll see how it evolves. But we did remove parts before with other episodes if we'd agree a specific part wasn't good enough or not serving the story. But here it didn't it didn't seem to make sense. We we had to try and make it happen by including it all. So for example, Elliot, whom you probably know if you went through all three episodes, seven, eight, nine, had a completely different storyline. Initially what he did was revealed at the end of the episode, but it just didn't feel right. I just couldn't let such a good cliffhanger go to waste. And I, I remember fighting with Antonio on this one because I think he felt we were overcomplicating it. And I didn't disagree with him, but I, I, I thought we could get it done. I thought we could make, make the cliffhanger work, and I think we did. So I did some back and forth to see which piece fits in which episode. And after some time, the image finally started to make sense. If I recall correctly, this caused an argument as Antonio wanted to wrap up more in episode EF7. But when I eventually proposed this ending, I think he came around as long as he knew it was being connected. So you have to understand there were many, there were so many conditions that had to be met, which I never thought we'd have to do. For instance, the episode's length, every episode having something interesting um, as each one had to be good enough on its own and so on. If I, for instance, removed some key essence of one to compensate for another, the first one might end up being too short or too boring. If you think balancing a tightrope is hard, try story balancing. Um, as another interesting example, let me return to Elliot. He actually became the main character in a later episode before he became Edward's son. Before there was another son 
in this story who was just a minor character. And then later I realized that Elliot could be a perfect connection for that and a strong, so not only did it add a really cool connection between EF7 and EF9, but it also developed the story of EF7 a lot better as the turn that happens with his son is critical to, to Edward. So to have his son not be a, an important character was, was kind of a waste or kind of didn't make sense, I should say. Small things like that that finally resulted in what we feel is a, is a great three-episode saga about the benefits and dangers of manipulating reason. So that's all I have time for, but I think, I'll, I think that covers the key questions that have a behind-the-podcast perspective for this episode. Um, next week, uh, we'll release um, a straight-up Ask Me Anything about the same episode. Let me wrap up this behind-the-podcast episode by saying how exactly... I managed to find a way to create the multi-episode interplay. Although we had a lot of material, it was of no use if we just crammed it all into one episode. So at one point, I realized this was the perfect opportunity to go as deep and dark as we wanted or needed. Ultimately, we're proud of these episodes, seven, eight, and nine, which can be heard as standalone episodes, but also have interlinked themes with separate overarching plot lines. Although we initially looked at it as a colossal problem, it suddenly turned into like a fruitful soil to grow each episode. We we learned not to fear big problems and big storylines, which taught us something about ourselves once we took it on and won, so to speak. You know, maybe it's not perfect, but it worked in the end. We kind of realized we could get through it. And I really like the ending of, of, of episode nine which was the final piece of, of the puzzle. Because when I initially looked at it as a problem, every part of my reason was telling me that it was really a problem. And what I thought was a rational observation was really probably nothing more than some kind of fear. And all we had to do was acknowledge and accept that challenge, which of course is always a lot easier to say than it is to do. As a takeaway from this episode, we, we don't want listeners to embody the misuse of rhetorical black magic like Edward. But if we embodied the need to go deep and dark into the areas of our life that we choose to avoid, that would be a good takeaway. For example, to learn about issues we don't like to talk about and get a deeper understanding of ourselves. What if we became a version of Edward who learned critical and rhetorical thinking to teach people how to fight it? And in doing so, root out the deep and dark secrets within ourselves. In fact, I don't think we have to go that far. We can simply stop taking everything at face value. It is possible to be both open-minded and yet skeptical. If we manage to do that, I think we'll no longer go wow to verbal magic tricks, but stop and at least realize, okay, this is just a verbal, verbal trick. It's clever, but at the end of the day, it's just a well-trained trick and nothing more. And maybe you could teach someone else how to spot it as well. They're all around us more and more every day. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so 
by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster.